We are currently in a sermon series called Kingdom and King, where we are discussing uh, the teaching of Jesus uh, in the Sermon of the Mount. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. If you have a Bible uh, with you today, I just want to ask that you turn there with us together. Um, if you don't, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you should be able to find a copy uh, under a seat uh, close to you. And if you don't own a Bible, we are just going to ask that you take that home as a gift from us. And uh, we just believe that everyone should have uh, access to the scripture. So um, again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And when you get there, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, if you are able. Thank you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Uh, Once again, welcome to Providence. Um, Thank you again for making us part of your week as well. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I currently serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach, and uh, very excited to be with you this morning Uh, talking about the Word. So like she was saying, uh, we've been walking through this sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so we get Matthews 5 through 7. And today we're transitioning from chapter 5 into chapter 6 with just a few verses that have a lot to say. And uh, it's going to be good. So I'm excited. Um, Amen. So I would like to uh, just start by praying and then we'll we'll jump into the text. If you guys don't mind bowing your heads with me, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word, that it's true, and God, I thank you that your word works in us in such a way that it exposes us for who we truly are and aids us in coming to you for forgiveness, for joy, for satisfaction that we can find nowhere else in this world. And so God, would you help us to walk through that process this morning? Would you help us to be honest, to be real? Um, and just to receive from the power that is in your word. And I pray that you would work in us, in power, Holy Spirit, to be changed, to be a different people. We long to walk in obedience and to do it with joy and to serve our purpose here on earth. And so, God, would you help us? Would you encourage us? Would you satisfy us today? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, um, one of the, the, the biggest things we've been talking about with this Sermon on the Mount is uh, this is kind of, uh, if you will, Jesus' manifesto for his kingdom, okay? We believe Jesus is our king. Yes, he's king of the whole universe, um, and, and he, in this Sermon on the Mount, has been giving us uh, some things. We talked about first about the, the characteristics of uh, the person that is inside the kingdom, right, of us who are in Christ, How, what characteristics we should um, exude, if you will, and then he began to talk about, and is really going to talk about this for the rest of the time, but now, as part of that kingdom, being the sons and daughters of God, how do we live in this world? 
Uh, how do we live on this earth right now when we, yes, have tasted the kingdom but are not in the kingdom? What does that look like to be a uh, Christian in the midst of this world? And um, we've been talking a lot about righteousness. And, and what I mean by that is our, our actions, what we do for God, walking in obedience to what he has commanded. Uh, and so we've been talking about our relationship with the law and, and what that looks like. And so uh, Jesus has said some things like, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Corey last week talked about uh, you should be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, and so Jesus is, uh, like we've said, he's not holding punches back from us, right? He's telling us you've got to be perfect, you've got to be righteous, you've got to pursue this, um, but you can breathe because we know we're not perfect and we know uh, that Jesus uh, knows that we're not perfect. That's why he died for us, right? That's the gospel. Um, but in this theme of righteousness, I just want to recap that the narrative of the Bible is not simply that you are not righteous, Jesus is righteous, and therefore you will never get it right, and you should just submit to that and just thank him. That's a partial truth, and that's some good truth in that, but that's not the full story. The full story would be something more like this. You are not righteous. Jesus is righteous, And he has died for you in your place and given you his righteousness. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can now walk in obedience to Christ. Now, I do caveat, that's not perfect obedience. You are still sinful and will always be sinful until Christ makes you new one day in his kingdom. But if you are in Christ, there is a legitimate way to walk in obedience to what he has commanded. He's given us life by the power of the Holy Spirit. What was impossible before we knew Christ now becomes possible. So Jesus is not simply just saying, here's the gospel. I died for you. Uh, That way you can be saved. But now that this has happened, obey my commands. Walk as I have called you to walk. And so we need to keep that in mind as we kind of walk through these things. Um, and, And obviously keeping that centered on the gospel. But that's important to think about. Now, Jesus is going to give us a great warning about walking in obedience to him, walking in acts of righteousness, and walking in doing good things for the kingdom of God. So he calls us to do that, but now as we get into chapter 6, he's going to uh, give us a warning. He's going to bid us to be careful with the way in which we do good deeds. Uh, And so this is important because in our culture in the South, right, uh, Christians are good people. They go to church. They pay their tithe money and... That makes them a good person. God's really pleased with that. And and, uh, when they get to heaven, God's going to be really happy that they went to church. They raised their kids in church. They taught them core Southern Christian values. Um, But that is not the main message of the Bible, right? Uh, It is much deeper than that. So let's keep that in mind. Um, And let's listen intently this morning at the warnings of Jesus because they're there for a reason. And I also want to keep in mind that Jesus is not after your robotic obedience, That's not what God is calling you to. He's not simply saying, here's my commands, you better obey or else. Though he kind of does say that in the Bible. But uh, it's much more than that. It's not your robotic obedience, but he's after the heart. That's what we've been talking about week in and week out. That God is after your heart. He's after your joy. He's after your devotion to him, yes, but your satisfaction as well. Uh, God wants, just like we would want in our children, that we would want to obey, right? That would be our deepest longing and desire would be to be like him, to do what he's called us to do, to be faithful, to honor him, to love him, not just to be a robot to do um, whatever he commands. So in light of that, I want to kind of focus on verse 1 right now. So verse 1 is going to be really the introduction 
Uh, Jesus has a cool way of doing this a lot, but he'll say something, and that's kind of like the main thought, and then he'll go out and explain it, and then end with kind of the main thought again. And so in verses 1 through 18, this is what he's doing here in verse 1. He's giving the rest of what we're going to talk about, because we're going to talk about giving to the needy. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about fasting, uh, but particularly, he's got a reason why he wants to talk about those religious acts. Um, So let's look at verse 1 together. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, if you do good things to be noticed by others, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's focusing on the motivation here. He says, if your reason for doing good things is to be noticed by others, to be seen by others, to be praised by others. Um, there's no reward in that. That's the basic premise of this sermon and the one to follow and what Jesus is saying right here as we talk about giving to the needy, which will be a kind of our focus topic. Um, I love, uh, I read a lot of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book on this, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's got some good things to say. And here's what he says about chapter six. He says, I sometimes think that this is one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the entire scriptures. And so if this is a little offensive or uncomfortable for you this morning, you're in good company, okay? It is, it's uncomfortable. And why is it uncomfortable? Because us being exposed for who we are is an uncomfortable thing, right? We spend a lot of our lives, whether that's on Facebook or just in general, trying to make sure we are perceived as someone that we are not. Because it's scary, right? It's scary to actually think about your heart, think about what's motivating you when you do certain things, to think about who you really are. We don't like that. It's uncomfortable. That's why sometimes, I know it's hard to say this in church, but we don't like the Bible because it calls us to something uh, that we don't like to look in and to focus on, to examine ourselves, to peer into our hearts and see who we are is an uncomfortable thing. Now, continuing in that train of thought on that subject, he also says this. He says, thank God for it. So thank God for this opportunity to to look into ourselves, though it's uncomfortable. Thank God for it, because it is only the man who has truly seen himself for what he is who is likely to fly to Christ and seek to be fulfilled with the Spirit of God, who alone can burn out of him the vestiges of self and everything that tends to mar his Christian life and living. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, his thought was, this is a good thing. It's uncomfortable, but it's a good thing because when we actually look and examine ourselves and we're forced to do that, uh, then we actually see real need and we flee to a real Christ who can really heal us of our sin, of our shame, and make us new. And this is a continual thing throughout the Christian life. It doesn't happen just once. It happens over and over and over again as we are exposed, if you will, by the word of God and then called to change, called to repent. And so it's uncomfortable, but it's good. It's what we should be doing as Christians. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't shy away from examining yourself. Do it often. Let the word do that to you because it's in that that there's true freedom. And that's important. So don't shy away from that. Uh, just kind of as a practice, something we should do too in light of that is, uh, I don't know if you've done this recently, but think about maybe the, the last couple of weeks and think, okay, what are some good deeds I've done? What are some things I've done for uh, the Lord, right? Uh, and, and then if you start to ask yourself, okay, well, how many of those things were 
maybe motivated by self-exaltation or, or how many of those things were maybe motivated that I might get someone to perceive me in a way that I'm really not because I want to be impressive uh, to other people. And you start to realize, man, a lot, a lot of my actions, if not all, are infiltrated by this thought that I want other people to think well of me. A lot of our religious actions are, are made that way, right? Like how, how high should I raise my hands in worship? When should I raise my hands in worship, right? Should I do it when the crescendo happens at the bridge or should I do it at the beginning so I'm perceived to be holier, right? Uh, you're sitting in home group and someone's like, oh, hey, you know, uh, let's talk about what we read in the Bible this week. And you're like, oh, man, well, let's see what I read last year in my devotional, if I can remember and I can pretend that's what I was reading, right? There's a lot of things we do if we're not careful to be impressive, um, and he's going to give three examples, like I said, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. We're going to focus on giving to the needy, but I do want to just repeat that this applies to any good action, any religious action that we could ever do uh, for the Lord, any great kingdom work, all of this is what he's talking about. And there is danger in everything that we do. But to kind of focus on giving to the needy for a second, Jesus um, doesn't say if you give to the needy, he says when you give to the needy, right? So Jesus is implying that this is something that we should be doing. I just want to say this note since we're on the subject that uh, if we don't give of our time, our money, our energy, any other resources that we can think of to people in need, then we are probably misunderstanding the fundamental uh, tenets of the gospel, right? That Jesus, we were in need, and Jesus, by his grace, knowing that we couldn't satisfy that need, stepped in and met our needs, though we weren't deserving of our needs to be met. And then not only does he do that in his mercy, but then by his grace, he then gives us his whole inheritance as the Son of God, right? He invites us into the kingdom to be children of God, and we inherit everything that was Jesus. So giving to the needy is, is built into the gospel. And so for us, it should be something we do. It should be something that flows out of us, right? Like we are, steward, uh, we are stewards of God's money, God's resources. Uh, it's not ours, right? God's entrusted us with that. And so it would be a selfish thing to say, thank you, God, for all these things that you've given me. I'm going to go spend it how I want to now, right? Uh, and obviously we should want to give to people in need, but this should be something that we are doing. Jesus is making a statement by not really making a statement, saying this should be something that we're doing. Yes, we should do it. Everyone should be doing this. If you're in Christ, it should be an obvious response that you have. Um, but the important focus topic, I think, for this sermon and this text is why are you doing it? Why? What motivates you? It, what's giving you joy as you give to the needy? And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, and so Jesus assumes, like I said, that we will be uh, givers. Uh, and so the implication here, which I'm not going to go into too much detail because I want to move on to Jesus' uh, application for us, but the implication is that, yes, we give not because we find joy in other people seeing us and being praised by others, but because in our giving, in our acts of obedience, in our acts of righteousness, we find uh, joy in the love of God and displaying God's love to others. That's our motivation. That's our joy. If we're in Christ, that's what we want, right? We want Jesus above all else. We want to know him more, experience his love more, be more like him, and then also spread that uh, to others. So how do we work towards doing this rightly? How do we walk in this? Um, Jesus is going to give us some advice here. The first thing is found in verse 2, and Jesus says, Do not display your good deeds before others. This is the first thing. Let's look at verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, 
Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet before you when you do something good for the kingdom. Now I don't think Jesus is thinking that you are going to really sound a trumpet uh, there is some commentators that believe maybe the Pharisees did this. It's like, oh, it's time to feed the needy. It's like a certain time of day where they would sound a trumpet and, and the, the needy would come to get fed. I don't know if that's true. I'm not a scholar of the time, but I'll just say I think the main point either way is not that you're going to sound a trumpet, but that your desire is going to be that other people might see what you're doing, and that would be your motivation for doing those good things uh, for Jesus. Um, but he says, don't do that. Don't put the attention on yourself. Um, it's, it's, an empty, it's an empty promise that you will be satisfied if other people see you as good, if other people see you as awesome, as holy, right? It's an empty promise. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter what other people think. Um, I remember one of the first sermons I preached. It probably wasn't the first one, but back in the day in youth ministry, I was doing some training, was really excited to preach, and um, I remember this one sermon I just... I was feeling really holy that day. I said, God, I just want to be faithful to your word. Right? I just want to preach the word. I want it to be awesome. I want people to be saved. I want you to move in power. It's not about me at all. And so I prayed. I said, God, I don't want one person to come up to me afterwards and tell me I did a good job. Don't let one person do it. I was really serious. I said, God, don't let anyone come up to me and said that I did good because I don't care about that. That's not what I'm here for. I want to see people saved. So I preached the sermon. It was probably really bad. And then afterwards, you know what happened? No one came and told me I did a good job. And you know how I felt? Not like when I prayed that prayer, okay? I felt devastated, right? Like, gosh, not one person thought that was good. Not one person. And I love God's faithfulness to answer that prayer because um, it really showed me what I, was, what I was actually wanting when I prayed that prayer, right? I wanted to feel holy, and God said, you're not holy. And so um, I think we do that, right? I think we deceive ourselves a lot. I think we... We like to be praised, and there's some good things in that, as in like, you know, uh, a f- uh, father and child relationship or something, but uh, it's, it's so subtle. Our desire to be praised by others is so subtle. It's so unnoticeable at times. I would venture to say that majority of us in here, as we're walking this on a day-to-day basis, don't really realize it's happening. It's not an excuse. Uh, and then also there's times that we do realize that's happening, and we just like it anyways, right, because we want to be praised. Um, but I think, you know, as you kind of just going through your life, whether it's you're doing something on, on, online on social media or you're, you're doing something in the church or you're doing something in your home group or just outside in general, um, that we, we aren't necessarily thinking, oh, this is a great moment to be praised by others. But that's, that's kind of the motivation that's running us in the background is we want to make sure that we keep up this vibe, we keep up this look, we keep up this, um, uh, I guess, um, thing about us where, where people like us and, and, and think we're, we're good, think we're better than we are. But Jesus says, don't do that. Do not display your good deeds before others. And if you've been paying attention at all in this sermon series, you're probably thinking, wait a second, didn't Jesus a few verses earlier say, make sure you shine your light before men and they'll see your good deeds and they'll give glory to your Father in heaven, right? That's what Jesus says in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 14. And so, this seems like a contradiction. On one hand, Jesus says, make sure people see your good deeds. They'll say, God is glorious. And then at the same time, make sure absolutely no one sees your good deeds or you're selfish. Right? It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. 
There's many things in the Christian faith that at face value seem like contradictions but are compliments. Uh, And this is one of those things. Um, Jesus is saying, don't be a Pharisee. What they do is they sound a trumpet before them and they make sure they announce what they're doing. They feel so awesome, right? They thank God out loud that they're not like some of these people, that God has made them holy. But he also doesn't want us to be a monk, right? God's not saying make sure you hide from society so you don't get stained by the world and make sure no one ever, if there's an opportunity to do a good deed and someone's present, don't do it. That's not what he's saying. If that were the case, there's probably many good deeds that we couldn't do to be faithful to the kingdom. But what he is saying, because he didn't say don't, do any good deeds in front of anyone ever. No, 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 that wasn't his rule. He said, don't do good things in front of people in order to be seen by them. That's the, the, the point is the motivation. It's the heart. It's the, the why you are doing it. So we shouldn't be Pharisees or monks. It's after the heart. That's the end game of Jesus here as he talks about our uh, walking in righteousness. And so if you are seeking the adulation of others when you walk in good deeds, you have already received your reward in full. The wording here is that's it. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? So say I'm motivated by other people and what they, they think about me and I do something awesome. Let's just say I give to the needy. I'm doing all these really great things and someone thinks in their mind or maybe says out loud. People don't usually say this out loud. but Say they're thinking about me. Wow, Eric is awesome. He gave everything he had to that needy person. He prayed with them with fervor. He looked so passionate, so cool. Gosh, even those jeans were awesome that he was wearing. And then they say, man, Eric must be really close to God. That's awesome. I want to be like him one day. You know, that's it. That's the reward. That's all you get from that action is someone thought you were awesome for maybe five seconds before they realized you're not anyways. Right? Right? That's it. That's the reward of doing good deeds so that others will like you or that others will think you're awesome. Jesus says, that's it. I tell you, that's the reward. That's it. They've already received it. There's nothing to look forward to after that except maybe doing another good deed in front of another cool person so that you could be cool again. And it's a cycle. It's a cycle. But it's never satisfying to trick somebody into thinking you are a religious person, a good person, a holy person uh, is silly. It's silly. What did you gain from that? You gained absolutely nothing except keeping up your facade of something that you're not. Matthew Henry said this, commenting on this text. He said, the world is but provision to the saints. It is their spending money, but it is pay to hypocrites. It is their portion. And that's a, a good distinction For the person who is spending their life as a hypocrite in Jesus' context here, wanting to be liked by others, that is their full payment. That is their paycheck. That is everything that they've been working for. But for those who are in Christ and have different desires, um, this experience on earth, passing through this earth, it's just spending money. It's just getting us to what we really want, what we're really looking for, what the real reward is, which is being with Jesus Christ forever. There's a different distinction there, and we've got to remind ourselves of that because we so easily get deceived into thinking it's going to be so good, right, to be liked by others. Um, so don't display your good deeds before others. And the second thing he tells us in verse 3 is don't display your good deeds before yourself. I know that sounds kind of weird, but just, just roll with me here for a second. Uh, verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. 
So obviously that would be kind of impossible to be doing something and not knowing you're doing it unless maybe you're uh, intoxicated of some sort. But I don't think Jesus is saying you got to actually deceive yourself. But what he's saying is when you do something for the kingdom, don't think about it. Don't dwell on it. Don't start to think, oh, man, that was good. I can't wait to do that again. That was awesome. You start telling people how awesome it was that you did this and did that. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't share good things that God is doing, but there's a difference between sharing good things so that other people would be impressed and sharing good things so God would be glorified, right? Um, and, and it's such a, once again, a subtle line. But I think Jesus' advice to us is when the Spirit leads you to do something great for the kingdom, do it. Thank God for the grace to be able to have done that and move on. I think that's Jesus' advice for us. Praise God that you got to be a part of it. You were faithful. You were obedient. Thank Jesus and move on. Don't dwell on it. Our goal is not to display, once again, how awesome we are. So even in light of ourselves, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. And to help you out with that, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, Paul says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So just to give you the short version, God called you weak, he called you foolish, and he called you low and despised so that you might not boast. And so next time you're filling out a, a social media profile and it says just short description of yourself, you can put that, okay? But weak, low and despised, foolish, all right? That's who I am and I'm proud of it. That's what the Bible calls you. That's what God calls you. But Why? So that no human being might boast, might think of themselves more highly than they ought, might think, oh, I'm awesome, look at what I'm doing, all these things of the kingdom, I'm so selfless. No. So, but it's important distinction, because it's not just thinking of, you know, yourself as foolish and weak, and yes, we should do those things and remind ourselves of those things often, but it's really, just in light of that, just really focusing on God, boasting in God, because what that does is it turns the focus from you over to God, right? Uh, I think Court shared this quote one time, but C.S. Lewis basically said, you know, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? It's a self-forgetfulness that we're really after. I, I mean, I guess you need to understand how bad you are, but by the grace of God, I want to focus on him and how good he is and not um, even worry about myself too much. And that's what he's calling us to, because the, the trick is that you will never be free from focusing on yourself by focusing on yourself, you get that? Like you can't be free from self-exaltation by just thinking, oh, how can I do better? How can I try harder? How can I, how can I do this better? It doesn't work that way. What happens, though, is you move your focus from you to God, and you see Christ and him crucified, right, on Calvary, in your place, for your sins, that you might live forever in him and gain him, the greatest gain in all the world. And as we focus on Christ that way, that has a healing effect on our selfishness, on our self-focused attitude, right? So that is the remedy that he's calling us to. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't be thinking about it. Don't dwell on it. Please don't be posting it and, and talking about it and promoting yourself because you do that, it just gets worse and worse. The hunger gets 
bigger and bigger for that self-exaltation. And so not only should you not display your works before others, but do, do not display them before yourself either. Learn to just be faithful and keep going. Be faithful and move on. Um, and then lastly, Jesus calls us to remember, uh, remember that your Father rewards you. So remember that our Father rewards us. And there's two implications I want to get from this. Let's read verse 4 again. Uh, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. So um, there's this concept of reward. Like I said, there's two things I want to focus on. The first is that our Father sees in secret. This should be a good but scary reminder. There is not one thing that you have ever thought or one thing that you have ever done that God has not seen. That is something we should remind ourselves, right? We should put that on a coffee mug. Uh, every morning you wake up, you should say to yourself as you look in the mirror, I don't know if you talk to yourself in the mirror, whatever, okay? Look at yourself, start now, and say, everything I think, everything I do today is in the presence of God. You can't deceive God. You can't run from him. You can't escape. God sees and knows everything. The very stuff that motivates you, sometimes when you don't even see it, right? That subtle sin that creeps in, God sees it all. God sees what you do. There's no pretending. You are laid bare before the God of the universe who's all-powerful, and he knows everything. Like David says in the Psalms, he reminds us, he says, um, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I Make my bed in Sheol, which is the grave. You are there. Where could I run from your presence? Right? That's, what, that's what David is singing about there. God, there's no way. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know my inward parts. You know everything about me. I cannot run from you. And um, so your father sees in secret. So this should, one, be a, a, maybe a, a motivating fear for us to be focused on what's really motivating us, to be focused on repentance, to be focused on walking with God but I think this should also be a, a motivating encouragement because uh, it, on the other end, uh, if you've been uh, doing things, maybe sacrificing for the kingdom of God and not one person has noticed and you're like, gosh, no one sees the struggle I'm in. No one sees what I'm giving for the kingdom and there's true motivation there. You can be assured that your father knows everything. Your father sees everything. Every faithful action done for the kingdom our Father sees, and he does not forget it, and he will reward you. That's important, right? Like he doesn't forget. It says God is actually recording these things. Once again, that's scary because he's also recording the bad, but he's also recording the good, and that should be an encouragement. Like, you're not forgotten. You, you are not forgotten in what you're doing for the kingdom, whatever sacrifice you make. That's why I love that text when Peter's like, um, basically, uh, Jesus is calling his disciples that you've got to basically surrender everything, right? You can't, like, you can't love anything more than me. You've got to leave home. You leave son. You leave daughter. You leave spouse. You leave everything in this world to follow me. And Peter says, Jesus, we've done all these things. We've left our house. We've left our jobs. We've left our home, etc." I'm giving a paraphrase word. And Jesus responds with, truly, I say to you that you will be rewarded not only in this life, but in the life to come you'll receive back a hundredfold from what you sacrificed. And so just know that also our, 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 the things that we're doing faithfully are seen, not forgotten. So that's, we are always in the presence of God. But the second implication is that our Father rewards us. 
And this is cool. It's kind of weird to think about. I know what you're probably thinking, which is probably a good thing to start. Uh, you're thinking, this is weird, right? Like, we shouldn't be focused on rewards. The whole Bible says, you know, we shouldn't be focused on those things, right? That's what you're saying. Like, don't be focused on the reward of other people liking you. And it's weird to talk about rewards, but the Bible doesn't shy away from it. Over and over and over again, the Bible is encouraging us to be obedient in light of rewards that we will get from God. Now, I'm not a uh, heavenly scholar, so I'm not going to begin to talk about what that even means at a, at a detailed level because I don't know. Uh, it's going to be very interesting when we, when we get to heaven to see what that looks like. But I let it suffice to say this, that as children of God, when we walk in faithful obedience and secret righteousness, our Father sees us, and whether in this life or the one to come, he will reward us for it. We will be rewarded for it. Now, to encourage you a little bit, because like I said, I don't know what all these, I don't know to even talk about these rewards, but we do get some, right? Even from the Sermon on the Mount. So what are some true rewards that we get for walking in faithful obedience? And I've got to be careful, though, because... Um, like I said, there's such a fine line. That's why I want to talk about that at the beginning. There's such a fine line of uh, earning, trying to earn favor with God through obedience, which is not the gospel. And then also this, this other side that says, but there is reward in walking in righteousness. Okay, and so there, there's a, a line there. So I'm not saying you earn your way into heaven, you earn a better relationship with God by any means of, uh, of doing good deeds. It's not what I'm saying, but there is reward. And let's look at a few of them. When it's talking about the Beatitudes, it says that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a reward. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who desire righteousness will be satisfied. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. Those who are pure in heart will see God. Those who are peacemakers will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake will inherit the kingdom of God. Those are some rewards, right? Like those who walk according to this way, who are in Christ, this is your inheritance. And so um, to sum it up, I would say our reward is Jesus. I can say that confidently. I know that much for sure. Our reward is Jesus. And I don't say that as like a trivial answer to what that is, but it really, he really is our reward. He is our desire. He is our joy. He is what we long for. What we will be satisfied with, it's Jesus. And so as we walk in obedience and secret righteousness, we can be motivated that that reward is greater than the reward of being exalted by other people. That reward is 10,000 times more satisfying, infinitely more satisfying than to be seen and liked and noticed by others in this life. To have Jesus, to have more and more of Jesus Christ, to walk with him, to have a sweetness of relationship and closeness with him. We have this in Christ as we walk in secret righteousness. It's not worth compromising. It's not worth compromising. To trade that reward for the reward of other people liking you is futile. It's meaningless. So I want to encourage you with a portion of scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, and it's going to be up here. You don't have to turn there, but I do want you to listen to this. Um, the writer of Hebrews gives us the example in Moses that you don't even really catch when you're reading the story of Moses, but to hear this explanation of it just uh, really speaks into this topic here. This is what it says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And later on in the next chapter of the writer of Hebrews, we even talk about Jesus, how if you look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, it is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us this motivation, this motivation of reward, looking to Christ. I love this picture of Moses because it says, I mean, to think about being the son of Pharaoh. You can read over that, but that was like you had all the world at your fingertips, right? Pharaoh was the most powerful man on earth. If you were the son of Pharaoh, you were probably quite literally worshipped as a god during Moses' time. As a holy, set-apart being, right? As God. And so he had that. He had not only that, but think about all the wealth, all the pleasures of sin that he could ever ask for, long for, want, get, desire in this world. And he chose rather to suffer for Christ. He chose rather that the sufferings of Christ would be a greater joy than all the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. What is the word telling us to do? To look past, look past this world. Look to the reward, the real reward, not the fake rewards that we think we can get. I mean, this world has so many fake rewards. We could even go out of this, out of the praise of man and just start about thinking about other things. I'm not gonna venture there, but what I'm saying is that um, there is, there are rather many promises of reward that this world can offer you, and you can touch it, you can taste it, you can feel it. It's exciting. The high of esteem from others is an amazing rush, but nothing even comes close to comparing to the reward of Jesus Christ. Amen. We are looking forward to a different city with a foundation whose designer and builder is God. We are looking forward to that. Uh, This world is just a passageway to that. It's not the end game for us. And if you live your Christian life, your walking in righteousness as the end game within itself, you will never truly be able to walk in righteousness as you are called to walk in righteousness. So my prayer is that God would forgive us, that God would change our motivations, that God would help us to be lifted from the fog, if you will, of this world, the haze that so easily blinds us into to look to Christ. You want to be a giver to the needy? That's how you do it. You want to be someone who prays, who fasts, who lives a religious life? That's how, that's how we do it. So but like I said, in kind of closing as I pray here, Remember that none of this can be (laughs) worked for by focusing on yourself. It doesn't work that way. This is not another self-help book that you can go find at the bookstore. Um, It is in coming to Christ and begging Christ to make this true in you. Coming to Christ and begging him to help your motivation. Acknowledging that right now we are in the presence of God, exposed 100% before him as uncomfortable as it is, and yet he still cares. And to say, God, truly, this is who I am. Truly, I am way more motivated about what others think about me than I am about serving you, finding joy in you. And Jesus offers today to change that. He offers today to be made new in your heart, not just your actions. So 
Let's pray to that end. If you guys wouldn't mind joining me, you guys can bow your heads. Um, Jesus, we are nothing without you. We need you so bad right now. And I pray against the temptation because I know, God, that the enemy would like nothing better than to rob the seed, to cause the cares of the world to grow up around us and to choke us out. But God, you bid us look past the cares of the world. God, don't let the enemy get his way, but would you cause us to acknowledge where we're at, just lay ourselves bare before you, to just come in prayer right now and say, God, change me. Would you change my motivations? I don't want to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. I don't want to live my whole life that others might think I was gloriously Christian and heading to be with you forever to just find out that it wasn't the case. God, I want to be real. We want to be real with where we're at. God, I pray you help us to do that. Help us to repent and find joy in you. God, help us to see the reward that you're bidding us to pursue and that is already earned for us in your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us to look away from what we're doing, to look away from the praise of others, not be satisfied by that and seem so religious. God, it's worthless. Help us to see you, to be motivated by you, Jesus Christ. It's what we need. So Holy Spirit, do your work. We ask this in in Christ's name. Amen.